0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Septic podcast. I have a fascinating guest tonight. I have with me someone who knows knows what but he's friends with Bob Lazar. He's friends with John Lear. He was one of the people to first go out in the desert and see some of the government UFOs that we have. Um, he's been researching it for years. He's a military historian. He's an author. He's a father um, and and a grandfather um he's a, a, a specialist in area 51 and he's a specialist in things that go bump in the night I have with me Jim Goodall you've probably seen him on other podcasts but you haven't seen him on this one yet but he, I, I'm, I'm honored to have him on and he, we're going to talk yeah. about all the UFOs like that might be alien, that might be ours and how we can tell and you know what is the tr3b you guys are going to learn about what that is he knows about that the tr3b is a triangular craft that might be ours and You know, we're going to talk about all this tonight. We're going to talk about Area 51, the desert. He used to go out there with caviar around so he didn't get bit by scorpions. It's just amazing. So I want to introduce him to the show. I want to introduce Jim Goodall. Jim, thank you for coming on the show. I'm going to give you a warm welcome. How are you? Uh,
1: Rob, I'm delighted to be on. Uh, Sorry for the delay. Uh, I had other pressing uh, things to do tonight. Uh, But I'm I'm more than happy to be here. And... uh, I've been doing this for 50 years. I started doing it long before there was an internet. So to go out and look at something or find out about something, you had to either get in your car or get in an airplane and go to that location, track that person down. And that's what I've been doing for 50 years. Uh, Can you tell me like, how can we differentiate
0: like between like what we know that we have and then what we, what we know that are alien. I mean, is there a way to differentiate? I mean, from what you've been, from what you've, like you know sourced out over the years
1: no I mean I have to assume and unless it's, you know I prove otherwise that when I'm if I see something in this you know flying around out in the desert out you know you know anywhere uh, I know I know what most aircraft look like I know I can identify them even if they're you know fairly high is there a way to determine if there's a strange craft if it's a if it's a tr3b or a flying disc or a a tic tac, you know. Is there any way to uh, know if it's uh, if in fact it is uh, manned or unmanned or alien? And act, and the answer to that is no. You know, unless unless I know for sure who is operating that particular craft. And I'm talking about spooky stuff, not something that you'd see the rig- at an air force base or even at Edwards. What uh, do you mean by spooky stuff? Um. Uh, just strange, strange-looking manned aircraft uh, and alien craft. That's what yeah. it, that would that would be the spooky stuff. Yeah, I, and 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 there, is, I guess
0: there is a difference. You know, like I, I know, like uh, like a lot of people talk about the triangle being our craft. Like I'm not sure if it can go through dimensions or what. That's the TR three B, right? That's supposedly what we have.
1: Right, and I was you know I was on a, in a documentary that Darcy Ware had put together. Uh, secret uh, secret space and the and the rise of the TR3B and the, you know the TR3B looks very very conventional i it has a propulsion system in the center there's a and it has on each corner it has uh, it looks like it lights up on the corners and what they've did what they've uh, determined that the the way that craft uh, flies. It is the center unit, right in the middle, the bottom of the of the craft, is a anti gravity uh, device. And what is believed to be is they've taken triple distilled mercury mixed with some other elements. They spin it at a very very high rate of speed, and they lower the temperature down to about fifty degrees Kelvin. And for those of you in real, Linda Kelvin, you know, zero degrees Kelvin is absolute zero. So 50 degrees Kelvin is probably like 410 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. And it's all, it's been known for a number of years that, uh, when you, when you lower the temperature of probably any type of metallic substance, which mercury is it, the properties, the, 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 the overall properties of that, element changes dramatically, and, and in some cases, totally different than you would expect. For example, if, if you're transmitting uh, electricity on uh, platinum wires or whatever, and you bring it down to near absolute zero, you turn the electricity on, you're flowing 110 volts, you turn the electricity off at the source, and it continues to send 110 volts. It's, just, it's, almost, it's almost like perpetual motion. When certain elements get down below zero, and that's what they think the propulsion system is on the uh, TR-3B. Now, now, the unit. Yeah, go on. I was going to
0: say, now, do you, uh, what, where, where do you think this thing can transverse? Like, do you think it can go
1: to the Moon, Mars, other dimensions? There, I mean, what, what do you think that the, the the sorry, there's 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 some rumbling out there saying that the 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 TR-3B is capable of moving. Uh, a large contingent of uh, people and equipment to the moon, possibly even as far as Mars. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I, you know, it's speculation, as with most of the stuff uh, as it pertains to UFOs, flying saucers, UAPs, things that go bump in the night. Uh, and uh, you know, I've had people say, "Well, what happens if if almost everything we see is man-made?" I said, "Well, that's good. That means we haven't been sitting on our on our butts, technology wise. But all yeah. we need is all we need is one craft to be known and proven that it's not from this earth, and that's that's and that changes that changes everything." Absolutely yeah, it really everything. does.
0: Like because that would be like our secret weapon, or it's a way to escape the Earth if there's a cataclysm. It's a defense against our enemies if they've mastered some kind of laser technology or some kind of fighter system that would go along with that craft. If I'm if saying if it was reverse engineered and there was some kind of like defense mechanism that came along with that craft, do we know anything about that? Like, is there any kind of um, you know, uh, fighter system like there would be on a fighter jet?
1: Well, if if you have if you have a craft that is capable of accelerating uh, to an extremely high rate of speed, I'm talking. You know, 20,000 miles an hour. Uh, it's uh, exoatmospheric. In other words, it can, it can go outside of our atmosphere and and still operate. The uh, the the anti gravity system that's purported to be in the TR three B uh, reduces the you know the pull of gravity by between eighty and ninety percent on the craft. Uh, but they still, need, they still need some propulsion to move it up, you know, right, left, sideways, backwards, or whatever. And that's what those three appear to be lights are on the corner of the triangle. And uh, Darcy had you know, said that he's you know, seen technical information saying that it uses uh, hydrogen gas or hydrogen for thrusters to move forward and you know, to, you know, to accelerate or to, to slow down.
0: That's pretty amazing. So do you think this is our only craft we have for secret space, or do you think we have like a fleet, as you say? I
1: mean, you don't just, when you if if we in fact built a TR-3B, we didn't build just one. Uh, very rarely do you build just one. And it's, and there's been, uh, and they're being seen all over the world. So it, it isn't, it isn't though that, uh, you know, the ones that are being seen all over the world, I don't know if they were they would be ours or if they would be extraterrestrial, uh, and until, until one lands on the you know on the White House White House lawn during a live news conference in the Rose Garden, and the whole world you know all the cameras turn around as its craft lands on you know the, the landing you know, landing pad there at the White House, and if you know if some alien creature comes out like the day the Earth stood still. Or worse it would be like Mars attacks. It 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 will be then and only then that a good a good portion of the uh, mainstream media, which I have absolutely no confidence in at all in telling the truth. I hear about, that. You're here about about anything at any level. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I would just I get I get more truth and information out of. Uh, reading the Daily Mail uh, out of uh, the UK. How about the
0: the National Enquirer, right? Yeah. But uh, hey, I wanted to ask you something. I think this is really cool because uh, you're a military historian. So I wanted to bring up this story with you because it's a classic story and there's so many tales of what he saw. And I just want to get your idea on it. And you can speculate. That's fine. That's what we do on podcasts. And I'm referring to Admiral Byrd because... We hear stories that the Nazis escaped World War II and that they went down to Antarctica and they had base 211. Then I heard there was Operation Argus and the United States nuked it, but then supposedly Admiral Byrd went down there and was confronted with some UFOs. I mean, but then there's other stories that Admiral Byrd went and he met some kind of peaceful inner earth civilization. And, and then there's other stories that just say he went down there for some kind of uh, scientific expedition. But I don't understand why you'd go down to Antarctica with a whole fleet to just for an expedition. Do you have any comments on this story at all? And what are well, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, the the rumblings and rumors of a uh, alien base or alien city under the ice in Antarctica has been you know it's been rumbling on and off for uh, a, a good many years. I mean, even back as far as, far as the 80s, you know, we're talking about almost you know 40 or 50 years, it's been rumors and speculation. Now, uh, <clears throat> to put things into perspective of, of what might be out there, what might not be out there, uh, I had the honor and the privilege of being a, more of a pen pal, but it was via the phone with Mr. Ben Rich who was who replaced Kelly Johnson as being the president of Lockheed Skunk Works, and on at least two occasions, actually three occasions, in June of '86, my my late my late friend John Andrews, who was from Testers, he was one of the original uh, UFL hunters, going back into the '50s and even back into the '40s for for John, and. Uh, Oh my gosh, my mind just went blank.
0: We were talking about. Uh, I started talking about Admiral Byrd, That you went into yeah. Enrich in 1986. Oh.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, I'm. I'm. My mind's a little bit scrambled tonight. My. My wife is going through cancer treatment. And, I'm so sorry. I
0: just. had a, a relative die of cancer. It's just. Yeah. A, I can't yeah. take it. I hate it. I'm trying to find supplements. To, help people fight it I, I i talk about it a lot on my podcast like yeah I, I wish i could i wish i knew a cure because it's happening to everyone you know what i mean yep. Every, it's yep. just like and i think it, a lot of it has to do with radiation i i think it was from these spills that happened like fukushima chernobyl us putting the bomb on japan in world war ii didn't help this well, all caused radiation i think and it lasted for years and i don't think they knew what they were messing with uh, nuclear testing out in the desert. Um, what do you think? I mean, uh, not to change the subject, but what are your thoughts on all that?
1: Well, five, 5G five is cancer-causing. Uh, you know, you wear a, uh, a uh, headset, a wireless headset, your cell phone, you put that up to your ear, you charge it. It's, it's emitting uh, RF radiation. Yeah. So I think just by the fact that Technology has brought us, you know, brought us to a place where, uh, you know, you have instant communication in anywhere in the world with something sticking in your back pocket. That's not; it's actually probably smaller than your wallet. That's a pretty incredible piece of equipment. But that piece of equipment, known as an iPhone or a smartphone, uh, it, emits, it emits RF radiation, and you and exposed to that long enough you're gonna have a problem. I mean, today's kids I I lived in Waikiki uh, for four years. Waikiki's a beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's really No, good I'd up. love to.
0: I, I love I was a
1: surfer for a lot of a long time okay. in my life. I love to surf like I, I love the waves and the ocean and so yeah. but you go yet things are really weird right now because you know uh, Hawaii shut down everything for the last two years. It's just now starting to open up a little bit. But you can walk down Kalakaua, which is the main drag through Waikiki. Waikiki is two miles long, three blocks wide, and that's it. Uh, go down the beach, you know, along the beach, you see everybody just staring at this this idiot thing they have in their hand. Here they're one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and they might as well be in Detroit or Newark or some other, you know, you know rat hole, Not not the beauty of, you know, the hawaiian language. i know if
0: i was in waikiki i'd be looking at two things the waves and the women. <laughs> that's right <Yeah. laughs> i mean I'm, I'm, I'm you don't have to i don't know i'd throw my phone in the ocean to give a look at that you know what i mean <laughs> like, yeah
1: yeah that was that was my that was my neighborhood for four years i mean i lived at the ilakai which is right next to the hilton hawaiian village did but you see the
0: places like pipeline
1: and all the big places where people surf oh yeah oh gosh yeah yeah i you know, i've been to uh Waimea during the big waves I mean, we're talking about 50 and 60 footers where you can actually feel the ground tremble as, as the waves crash. Yeah. There's like some real
0: trendsetters that like, like, like Jerry Lopez. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's a old school surfer. He, yeah. uh, he really, um, set the tone for like those big wave surfing and Laird Hamilton. who's like a, yeah. He's a big wave surfer. But anyway, I'll get back to you were saying I was talking about Admiral Byrd, and then you said you, you know, I wanted to know what you thought of the Admiral Byrd story. And then you said about 1986 you got to know Ben Rich and something okay. happened in 1986.
1: J- John Andrews uh was a prolific writer, uh, letters, and he was also had uh, had a great mind on him too. But John was corresponding with Ben Rich for years. But in 1986, he sent a letter to Ben and said, Ben, do you, do you and Kelly Johnson believe in UFOs? Now there are two categories, both man-made and extraterrestrial. And he mailed that on a Monday. Before the end of the week, he had a response from Ben Rich on his corporate letterhead as president of the Lockheed Skunk Works. And he knows it was was in cursive. It was, you know, it was Ben's handwriting. He said, Both Kelly and I are firm believers in both categories. Wow. We We refer to ours as unfunded opportunities. He underlines the U, the F, and the O. Said, But beware, there are people who will lead you astray, and there are some that could do you harm. Kelly Johnson's. Uh, with a group of engineers, saw on at least two occasions unidentified flying objects that he or his engineering staff could not explain. This is back in the mid fifties. Now uh, let's fast forward to nineteen ninety three. Ben Rich retires in ninety one, right after Desert Storm, and it proved his F one seventeen stealth fighter worked like advertised, and. Uh, he was at UCLA. There was a uh, aeronautical graduate student group that he was a keynote speaker. And near the end of his uh, talk, he said, "We have the ability to take ET home." Now, think about that statement. Ben yeah. Rich. Ben Rich is saying. Now, this is the guy who would. If anybody. In the world would know it would be Kelly Johnson and or Ben Rich. But Ben said, you know, we have, we have the ability to take ET home. Now, the closest star to our, to our solar system and, and to, you know, to our star, you know, the sun, is four light years away. And that's going at 186,000 miles per second for four years before you got there. Uh, and that's the closest one. The, the The universe is almost 14 billion year light years across, and we have the ability in blink of an eye to take someone on the other side of the universe and then be able to come home.
0: That's uh, amazing. That, that means we can travel at the speed of light easily, and we might have been past that. And and that, you know, I understand the government has to keep secrets, but. You know, I mean, how deep do the secrets go? They have to go so deep. And I heard these black projects. I heard that there's only a few people that know about them, which is weird because like, you know, like what would if someone would happen to, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how it goes, but I heard, you know, some of these black projects, not a lot of people know about them at all, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I, uh, and, and that's another thing. There's, there's a lot of things that are kept classified not for national security reasons, but for power. A good example, a good example, when the F-117 first flew in June of 81 out of Area 51, that's where it was flight tested. They figured, you know, if we can keep this thing under wraps without the public hearing about it and knowing about it for 15 or 18 months, that would be great. Well, they hit, they hit, 18 months. There wasn't a peep anywhere. Nothing. Aviation Week, you know, Interavia, uh, Flight Go- uh, Flight Global, all you know, all the you know, aerospace-related uh, websites had nothing. So I said, "Well, let's, let's see how long we can keep it classified." So they, it went to uh, two years. Then it went to three years. And it went to four years. It wasn't until November 1988 that they announced the existence of the F-117. The, the, and, the, the, the,
0: the, it was way, way after,
1: right? Right, right. And, and Ben Rich told me, he said, he said, Jim said security at the level the F-117 was at or the Blackbird or the original U2 or any of the other really, really uh, spooky programs, security uh, adds 20 to 25% to the cost of the program. So if you have a if you have a you know a ten billion dollar program, two and a half billion dollars of that is just for security. Pick five hundred and thirty four people would do a hell of a lot better job than the idiots we have in uh, Congress right now. Well, oh, yeah, because you know, like when they appoint someone for a, a political position, they don't even
0: know how to do that job. You know what I mean? They're they're just they're, they're running for it, but they don't they don't have any experience or any, you know, like, they don't, they don't have any experience in that office unless they've already been in it for a certain amount of time. But uh, I want to get back to the UFO stuff, because it's really interesting. Like, um, two people that that came out with stuff that that you would either verify their statements, or you could say yay or nay. Corso and William Tompkins. I, I think they're both pretty solid. I mean, William Tompkins is a little out there because he talks about you know the the army working with nordics and and then the 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 uh, the uh, nazis working with the reptilians but i could definitely see that happening i mean but then corso is real solid i mean what are your thoughts on both those guys
1: well uh, again i'm going to i'm going to go back to ben rich uh, he he is he's been the not not the that anchor but he, he he's been the proof truth serum. I think when it comes to where are we at as it pertains to alien craft, that, that in- makes
0: sense. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I forgot. I just forgot. You said, yeah, that because, uh, because it, because that kind of backs up everything
1: they've said, you know, Ben. I- yeah. Just before Ben passed away and uh, he was dying of a esophageal cancer, probably breathing all the nasty uh, chemicals in, uh, Uh, used on low observable coding, stealth. But just before Ben passed away, I called him at USC Medical Center. He was dying of esophageal cancer. And we were talking about our our mutual friend, John Andrews. And uh, near the end of our, it was about a 40 minute conversation and more or less reminiscing. But near the end of it, he said, Jim, we have things that's out in the desert. And he wasn't referring to Area 51. But we have things out in the desert that's fifty years beyond what you can comprehend. Wow! I can com- I can comprehend a hell of a lot. And he said, "If you've seen movies like Star Trek or Star Wars, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort." I said, "That's Benny, amazing! You- I've never heard that statement. I heard the statement that he said we have the ability to take ET you to go home." But
0: I. I never heard the statement that he said, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth it. I mean. That was directly from Ben Rich's mouth to my ear. That's amazing. Like, yeah. that verifies everything. And, you know, I, I, my friend told me the other day, or actually today, I, was, I saw my friend, he, we were talking We were talking about the secret space program. And I, he said, he's like, dude, he's like, if you get a thing of uh, infrared, you know, goggles, he's like, you can see the ships moving around out there. He's like, he's like, I, "I was like, "I don't know about that. I'm not sure you know, I, I, I don't want to verify anything or not, because I, I've never seen one, but I don't doubt anything, especially after what you're telling me now. It's amazing. Well, yeah.
1: Last August, I was at uh, I was in Sedona, Arizona, for a gathering of UFO people, and we went out to uh, Bradshaw Ranch it's like they like select the skinwalker uh ranch in utah yeah is he one- the
0: guy who has all the grays in his house is that um what's his name i'm um, don uh oh I, I can't his name's escaping me but, uh, but is is uh there, there's a there's a couple of ranches out there that are like skinwalker right or- yeah
1: correct yeah but what but uh everybody had the you know the tour guide uh Melissa Leslie was. Uh, she puts that on, uh, and, and I think we're the the 980th tour that she's given out at Bradshaw, Bradshaw Ranch. And we, you go out there at 11 o'clock at night. We got back to our place at about three o'clock in the morning. But you put these night vision goggles on, where you're going to see things that you can't see with your nor- with your know, with unaided eyesight. And we're looking up in the stars, and there's stuff. I mean, going this way and then changing, and it's you know it's after midnight, so the sun's on the other side of the planet, so it's you know the, whatever this thing that's flying around it's not being illuminated by the sun, but just stuff. Uh, I was I was dumbfounded about the amount of activity going on that I could see with night vision that I couldn't see, or even in infrared that I couldn't normally see with the, the naked eye that's amazing that makes me think that we're, we we uh, we are
0: we're working with some species of ets whether it, whether it be um multiple or or or, or you know like you know, we we obviously have a lot
1: going on that we don't know about you know um oh absolutely absolutely and any technology that is made commercial like iPhone and the cameras for the iPhone 13 and you know the speed and you know everything else Most of that technology is old technology as far as what the government is working on. And you know,
0: it's funny, like Elon Musk tries to say that he's going to take people to Mars and stuff like that. We're probably already there. I don't know what he's thinking. Like, you know, they tried taking people to space. uh, I think it was Beza, or maybe Bezos is just the rich guy who owns Amazon. But I thought like they were sending people to space. I thought Elon Musk sent some guy to space and you know, and I was thinking, they're going to see craft up there. And he's lying. I mean, he goes on the Joe Rogan podcast. And Joe Rogan asked him, he said, what if you see aliens? And he's like, well, he's like, well, I guess uh, that I didn't think about that one yet. Because he's totally just just not even thinking about the fact that if he would see aliens or craft, like, But he has to know. If someone yeah. with that much wealth does not know, what like, I mean, unless he's a complete idiot. I mean, what are you thoughts and on he's,
1: that? And he's not. He's not. He's not he's gotta, very
0: smart. So what's he hiding, you know?
1: Yeah, I got to I got to turn the fan on. It's getting warm in the room here, so yeah. take, I'll be off. I'll be just take me a second.
0: Okay. Again. Okay. So, um wh- wh- I want to go back to the the A's and uh, if you could tell the fans about what you and uh how you know bob lazar and john lear those are the art bell legends i'm a big art bell <laughs> fan i forgot to tell you that like yeah. i don't know if you listen to my show before and you've heard me talk about it but like art bell's kind of like my hero you know like there's oh, yeah. a lot of people that like you know because me doing podcasts and ra- i don't do radio but it's similar to, it's, you know, and I kind of yeah, look right. up as, to Art Bell as inspiration. And I listened to a lot of those old John Lear shows. And one thing that John Lear said that was really funny was he said to Art Bell one time, he was like, when you die, don't go to the light. It's a trick, and then Art Bell would say that all the time. He said it to Whitley Strieber, and he said it to everybody. He's like, "What do you think about that? Do you think Lear was serious?" And I would always laugh. I was like, "I wonder if John Lear was serious." He said, "When you die, don't go to the light. It's a trick." Do you remember
1: that? Yeah, and, and the thing about I've known I've known Lear oh almost fifty years. Gosh, um and I met him through my friend John Andrews from Testers. Yeah, but. John John is a character he is he is a walking museum as far as uh, aviation is concerned i mean he currently holds still 16, 16 world aviation records he he flew he flew non not, not not nonstop he had to land for fuel but he flew solo in his dad's learjet on his 16th birthday he he flew around the world and wow oh, i never knew that he did that and yeah,
0: they created the learjet his family for the fans that don't know that's what the, the people that are familiar with the learjet john lear his family created the learjet his, and the ufos and he was an art bell legend he would go on the show and talk about ufos and disclosure and um he knew about everything but you would go out to the desert with them can you talk
1: about that like back in the day when you guys oh yeah you said you would have to wear kevlar on your legs and stuff like well if if i went into a rocky area first of all And you're going out in the desert. You do not go out by yourself. You bring three times more water than you think you need, and you be very careful when you're climbing around uh, on rocks where you put your hands. Um, In some areas where I know there's you know there's a there's potential for having a lot of snakes, I wear Kevlar chaps. This way, if one of them decides to you know the one little ones the rattles on the end of them decide to bite me. They won't, you know, they won't penetrate the, the thing, what they have, what they have in, in the area 51 area of Nevada, actually most, most of the desert area of Nevada and Arizona and California, they have the Mojave green. It's a rattlesnake, but it has a, it just has a nasty disposition. And if you get bitten by a Mojave green and you're in and around area 51 or Tonopah test range. You're 200 miles from the nearest major hospital. You're wow. dead. You're dead. I mean, it, yeah, you you can get bit by a rattlesnake and survive without ever doing anything. I mean, you're going to be sicker than a dog. You may lose a finger or a hand or whatever. <clears throat> but on Mojave Green, you're going to die. So, but- so, it's
0: like a mission going out there just to see UFOs. You guys would really do this, like I mean, like like it, it sounds amazing, like. And, and you, Don Lear, and Bob Lazar would do this, right?
1: No, Bob Bob, Bob worked out there. And and, out, and the way I met Bob, John Lear, now this, in November of 88, the uh, Air Force announced two stealth programs, the B-2 stealth bomber and the F-117 stealth fighter. They both came out. One came out on the 22nd and one came out on the 11th of November. Of 1989, that was their first public uh, acknowledging that they exist. We, we knew about the B two, I knew about the F one seventeen going back to the uh, uh, late seventies, you know, when it was when it was half blue flying. But uh, John and I were uh, we were heading we we're going up U S ninety five, which goes from Las Vegas to Tonopah, Nevada. It's 200 miles between the two points, and we're about 10 miles north of Scotty's Junction. Scotty's Junction is an interesting uh, crossroads, if you want to call it that. The uh, number of years ago, uh, it had a very flourishing house of ill repute. Whorehouse to those of you who live in Iowa Vista, and uh, <laughs> you know who my one of my favorite radio guys were, which by that statement, but we were we were uh wait wait can you say, is it uh was it um uh what was
0: it the guy who died is it, is yeah it, uh, uh, bill, bill uh no what, yeah. rush limbaugh oh rush limbaugh oh yeah 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 no yeah, yeah. i was yeah. thinking of the guy william cooper be to hold a pell horse you oh know, yeah he, yeah he had some interesting theories but yeah. anyway yeah, sorry but, i didn't mean to interrupt you. yeah
1: so we're about 10 miles north of Scotty's junction and that was the government took over the whorehouse that was there and they ran it out of business how can you run a house of ill repute out of business other than gross mismanagement? But I digress. So we're, we're heading up to Tonopah, and about 1,500 feet above the ground, crossing over US 95, flew an F 117. I about crashed the car. I slammed on the brakes, jumped out, went to grab my camera, and it was already too far gone.
0: So, I you mean, know, the, the old
1: heart was pumping. And back in January of 89, very few people had digital cameras. You know, you use print or slide film. So I have Kodacolor 100, which is a real fine grain color film, print film. And I have a Nikon with a motor drive, really good telephoto, Nikon lens. And uh, so we had a Patona we grab a quick bite, and then we hit uh, US six, go down 14 miles east. Out of Tonopah, and this big sign, big blue and white sign that says Tonopah Test Range, Sandia La- you know, Sandia Laboratories, and that's where they test nuclear shapes, and it's also part of the, you know, part of the bombing range as well. So, uh, were you scared so, going out there? Like, what if they would no, run no. tests? Like, what are they, they going to do? They're going to shoot me. <laughs> they shoot me. If they shoot me, it's the there's too much paperwork involved. So they'll harass you, but they won't necessarily Now, if you you jump over the fence or crawl under the fence or some way sneak into the area, then they can throw the book at you. But otherwise the security people within the Nevada test site, uh, whether it's around uh, Tonopah test range, also known as TTR or in and around area 51 uh, near Rachel, Nevada, the security forces have no jurisdiction outside the perimeter of the restricted area. They can't come onto public lands. It's, you know, it's, it's BLM Bureau of land management, not the thugs that burn down cities. I'll probably get some, I'll probably get some static for that one, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, as long as, as long as you don't, as long as you don't (laughs) penetrate, as long as you don't (laughs) penetrate, The perimeter there's nothing they can do to you they can come and harass you all you want so fast forward uh from you know the 80s into uh 19 it was june of 96 the infamous john lear and i are at the fence line at tonopah test range it's 11 o'clock at night we're sitting out there with our lawn chairs because they don't want to sit on the ground there's you know the scorpions will crawl up your pant legs if you're not watching so you you get some you get some duct tape and you you tape your uh, pant leg to your boot. This way they can't come up and surprise you. And we're sitting out there, and it's uh, we both have uh, night vision goggles. Didn't you used to take lawn chairs out there too? Like oh yeah, we'd, every every time we go out there, we we'd take lawn chairs and then we'd leave them there. There's probably fifty to eighty lawn chairs scattered throughout the northern fence line and. And the eastern you know, fence line of area fifty one. It's, it's what you do when you're in the desert.
0: I love this. I love old school UFO research because this was real UFO research, you know. Oh, this absolutely. was like what this was like going getting down to the this was really grinding, like you know, like this was really getting to the core of the matter, I feel like you know, like not
1: too many people did this stuff, you
0: know. It's no, amazing.
1: No, I mean I I there were there were in the 1990s was, was sort of a golden era, a group of about 15 or 18 hardcore going out in the desert, snooping on the government guys. And the, uh, you know, the senior person there was John Andrews. Uh, then you had John Lear. You have me, you have uh, Roger Hill, who's the retired chief of police at Tulare, California. Uh, you had Michael Dornheim, who's the senior right, senior uh, engineering editor at uh, Aviation Week, um, and just I mean, just a great group of people. and uh, it's 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 just a kick in the butt. I mean, the people out there that they don't most of them, I think I've outlived a majority of them. Uh, and i' you know, i'm I'm gonna be seventy seven here in a month. So I don't mind going out deserts, you know, sleeping in a tent. You know, the hard part is getting off the ground. I mean, literally pushing my body off the ground to try to stand up. Uh well, what, but can
0: you, you can you say what you saw up there? Like, did you see UFOs taking off? Like, would you say
1: I have saw- I have as as many times and I've I've been to the fence lines at Tonopah and Area 51 well over 80 times. So eighty individual visits there, and they may have been six in a row over a six-day period. Uh, but and I, I, I was out in the middle of Tippecanoe Valley, which is East Area Fifty One. That's where the black mailbox is, and I'm standing next to the black, What's mailbox. The black mailbox. Oh, is the uh, oh, I can't remember his name. He is, he's the uh, he's the rancher there that uh, has a, a cattle. Uh, and they're grazing on public lands. You know, it's open range, and okay. he's in, in Tippecanoe Valley, and he has a mailbox. Mailbox, it's a big one, and it was it painted black, and that was sort of a uh, a go-to place. It would, it would be like, uh, yeah, go, going going and seeing the Golden Gate Bridge, or going, in, going in and going uh, and seeing Disneyland. It was a destination point. People went. And to stand by the black mailbox, he's had him. He has had number of them stolen, because oh, I got the black mailbox, and all it is is just a black mailbox. But mm-hmm. I'm standing out there. There's no. no it's just a sliver of moon. It's going behind the uh, the groom range. You know, yeah, and still a little bit of a, uh, a glow from uh, the sun as the sun's setting. And I'm sitting out there and it's so dark. I can't, my eyes had not adjusted. and I can't even see my feet. That's how dark it is. And I'm sitting there thinking, I said, okay. They said you can read minds. You can, you know, you have telepathy. And I'm sitting here and I say, okay, I want to be abducted. <laughs> and, and people said, you what? I said, yeah. I mean, this is what I do. I mean, I go out in the desert. I look for spooky airplanes and hopefully see a, a ufo or a flying saucer i i don't want to i don't want to be a just a an observer and a relayer of information i want to i want to be i want to have the direct experience of being abducted and as i'm sitting here thinking it says abduct me please abduct me but let me bring my camera with me and you can keep me as long as you need but let me bring my camera yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like nobody.
0: Uh, there's there's been hundreds of thousands of UFO abductions, and I believe mostly all of them. You know, there, I mean, there's been some really classic cases. Like Travis Walton has a really solid case. Barney and Betty Hill. Um, Who anyway, oh, I I interviewed Carl or, uh, the 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 guy. I, oh, I, I I I can't but I can't believe Alan Parker. I interviewed Calvin Parker from the Pascal Abduction. He uh, has a real solid case, like. But besides that, there were hundreds of thousands of people. Like you remember, Bud Hopkins back in the nine eighties and nineties wrote books on it. Him and uh, and David Jacobs, and uh, they did serious research on this, you know. And so did Barbara Lamb and 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 a, and, a, and a bunch of other people. But I mean, like, what are your thoughts on the abduction phenomenon? Because it seemed like nobody was ever able to get a picture that these were definitely happening.
1: You know, well, um, yeah, John Lear, when he was flying, when he was a senior uh, pilot for America Transair, he was going, now, he was flying all over the country on charters. But if, if he was going into a city, he knew that there was someone that was claimed to be an abductee. He would arrange to meet them. I don't know if he compensated them at all. I don't think so. But he would go he would uh go and get a professionally certified deep hypnosis specialist in that particular town and bring him bring the abductee john and the uh hypno you know hypnotherapist in a in, uh, in a hotel room or even maybe the person's house and put him up under deep hypnosis and john said he did that with 15 people, different people, none of them very bright, all of them with a little bit more than ambient temperature IQs. Um, and he said of the 15, 13 people had almost the exact same experience. Yeah, see, what you, what I, you, that's
0: what I mean. I don't I don't think it's it's something they get they get the skeptics and disbelievers can say what they want, but that just does not happen. You know, that's not a, that's not a coincidence, right? You know, that's that's not a coincidence. Like, they were definitely taking people. Now, I don't know if there were agreements made. Like, you know, like, we hear news about they say that Eisenhower met with aliens. And that's, you know, like, I don't think they have to ask permission to take our people. And I hate to say that. I think they treat us like cattle. They pick us up, they tag us, they implant us. We probably
1: are cattle to them
0: yeah it's like we, you know it's like what we do to a dolphin, you know we, when we yeah. pick up a dolphin, we tag it, that dolphin probably goes back to its friends and says, These crazy humans just abducted me and put a tag on me, and we're just saying the same thing about the aliens. it's the I've said this before it's the exact same situation.
1: you know what I yeah. mean Yep, yep, oh yeah, yeah. it's funny yeah, they, to think about
0: it that way, right the,
1: the other thing is, how many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people? disappear no trace never turn up anywhere and a lot of it's in the third world but there 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 are reports someone going, someone's a lot of it here
0: too that david police did the missing 411 and uh cheryl lynn carter did a book called dimensions mysterious triangles in the u.s i just interviewed her she said there's like in alaska alone I think she said there's 10,000 people that go missing. They have the largest population of missing people in the U S and a lot of that's indigenous people for some reason, or, you know, like native, you know, native Alaskans. Like, um, I, I can't explain it. I don't know. It's insane. It's, it's a, it's a w- real, it's not just a phenomenon.
1: It's a scary right. thing. I was, I was in Anchorage, Alaska in March of 1964 for the good Friday earthquake, 9.2 in the Richter scale. For five minutes, and you know, the official death toll in the state of Alaska was, like 158 people died. There was only less than 300,000 in the entire state on March 27, 1964. But there were, there were, they figured there were 1,500. Uh, indigenous people in anchorage that lost their life because they were in this the sleaze bars on fourth avenue and third avenue and when fourth avenue when the south north side of the street collapsed they dropped down 30 feet and there were, there were bars and pubs underneath that uh, stuff uh the jc penny department store came down it was a five-story building just so said why don't you lost two or three people there There were they were i have friends who saw them bringing bodies out but the, the what, what the official word was is if they were an indigenous person that got killed, because they did not have a formal birth certificate, they can't have a death certificate. Now that's changed. This is this is nineteen early nineteen sixty mentality. Uh, that you know, that has changed dramatically. Uh, but there, 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 are people disappearing all the time. I mean, there's there was a report. So wait, that-, that makes
0: that makes a good point. So you're saying it would be easier to take a person because they don't have a birth certificate or death certificate, so they would just go unaccounted for,
1: and nobody would ever know the difference. Is that what you're right, saying? Right, right. That's what I mean. That's that was their way of thinking back in the uh, early '60s. Now there there are people who there there have been reports of a husband or a wife going out the front door to go to the mailbox and they never return. Yeah, I I, I wonder like sometimes
0: if like they're slipping into a portal or another dimension. And you know what's interesting? I I, I tell this on my show a lot. I interviewed this guy. His name's uh, Trey Hudson. He wrote a book called The South Skinwalker Ranch where he found this paranormal hotspot in the South and he's been investigating it. And it has all the spooky stuff that you know we we talk about that skinwalker ranch has that's why he calls it the south skinwalker ranch but anyway mm-hmm. he has a militaristic team there all, all like either ex-military but you know really high-grade people engineers scientists you know um and they're all researching this paranormal spot he said they have Fleer cameras and there were points where he said that his team you know disappeared off the freer camera and he they and then they came back in and he said they they felt like they walked just into darkness and then they turned back around and came out but that could have been them going into a, another
1: dimension what do you think It's it's possible possible yeah you know, one thing i never finished i didn't finish you asked me earlier how did i meet bob lazar yeah i'd love to know yeah. about
0: bob lazar oh, yeah.
1: yeah so so let's yeah go back to uh january 89 i'm with john lear the F-117 flew over us, about crashed the car. So we grab a bite in uh, Tonopah. We head down uh, US-6, about 14 miles to the turnoff to Tonopah test range. And from uh, US-6 to the front gate is 18 miles. Of absolutely nothing's out there. But we got to the gate. The man camp is right there next to, next to, the, next to the northern boundary of the Nevada, the Nevada test site. So we drove along the uh, fence line, and you can look down and see the entire, you can see all of Tonopla test range. I mean, it's just right there in front of you. And we're, we're ho- I'm hoping to see an F117, and I look to the north, and way to the north is a little black dot with a white light on the bottom, and then a small white dot with a bright light on the bottom. And I'm thinking, that's probably an F117, because I know it's black. And a T thirty eight chase, and that's what it was. I and mean, it's coming towards towards us. I'm getting really excited, and all of a sudden, it's starting to fill up my viewfinder. I have a you know, real, real nice telephoto lens, and as as it's filling up the view viewfinder, I'm having a reaction like a I'm a. Ten-year-old boy seeing a naked woman for the first time. My whole body is just vibrating, and uh, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not even sure if I'm getting any good pictures. So I'm just shooting. I'm just shooting away. Go through the whole roll, and I said, "Let's get out. Let's hit. Let's head back to uh, Vegas." So we jump in the car. We go back to US six, head east. Uh, we get to Warm Springs, and then take a turn down the extraterrestrial highway on the way to Ray. Rachel. We stop at Rachel. I've been going to Rachel since 87. Wow. And the little alien, uh, used to be called the uh, uh, the Rachel Bar and Cafe. So we go there, we get a quick, quick bite because we were starved. And so we're heading to Vegas and I, and I know we're going to get there after the photo mats have closed. Now, those of you who aren't very old, like me. A photo mat is what you would find in a shopping center parking lot. A kiosk, it's like, it was like where you could process. They
0: they called them photo huts here on the East Coast. Yeah, I think it was a little bit different. It was called Photo Hut here. I remember. Photo
1: photo mat uh, on the West Coast. And now they're taken over by baristas, and you buy coffee, you get coffee there and whatever. And I knew we, by the time we got back to uh, Las Vegas, the photo mats would be closed. I had to wait, I have to wait another day. And then it'll take at least another day for it to be processed. And I'm just, I'm just really antsy. I have this, this gold in my, in my camera and I need to get it processed. So we jump in, we jump in the car, we head back to Las Vegas. We got there about 10 after nine. So I knew, I knew we were going to miss the photo mat, getting, you know, having a photo mat open. And John says, hey, I got, a, I got a friend's coming over here in about 10 minutes. Uh, I called him earlier and uh, he's just moved here from Albuquerque. He's interviewing for a job out in the desert. Okay, so about a little bit after nine, about 9.15, 9.20 and hear a knock at the door. John goes and answers the door and this nice uh, guy comes, a nice looking, very pleasant young man comes into John's study. And he introduces himself and says, Yeah, I'm I'm Bob Lazar. I'm uh, interviewing for a job out in the desert. I'm a nuclear physicist at Sandia Labs. And uh, we go on, we just you know, just uh, small talk. And I said, Hey, I, I said, I have today was a real exciting day for me. I photographed the F-117. And he said, Oh wow. I said, But I have a problem. I have I have it, have it on print film, and I gotta I have to wait till tomorrow to to get it processed and maybe wait another day to, to get it printed. I mean, to get the prints back. And he said, Hey, I have, I have a C41 processing unit at home and let's run to my place. I live off of West Charleston. Uh, John Lear lives up near Sunrise Ridge, which is the backdrop to Nellis. So we jump in his car and we're, we're about a block away from John Lear's house and Lazar looks at me and says, You know, I feel sorry for that dumb son of a bitch in Lear. I said, What do you mean? You, <laughs> sorry? you mean you feel sorry for him? He said, He's from the world world famous family, aviation family. I mean, his dad gave Learjet to the world, and the dumb son of a bitch believes in UFOs. He, said, <laughs> nuclear... he didn't know yet. He didn't know what he was about to encounter, huh? Right. He said, he said. I'm a nuclear physicist. If I can't prove it mathematically or put my hands on it, it doesn't exist. So (laughs) we go there, we got the print. And I I had, I think, four frames that were sharp. The other ones were soft because I was shaking so hard. Um, So a year later, uh, Lazar comes out as a uh, silhouetted head, altered voice, talking to George Knapp saying he did reverse engineering on an alien spacecraft. And, and did he told you, me... Did, were
0: you able to talk to him after that? Like, like- oh,
1: I've been to his house. I helped make uh, pyrotechnics in his garage. I think his neighbors at the time knew that he had four or 500 pounds of black powder and other stuff in his garage. because He made commercial-grade fireworks in his garage. And then he had 13 desert blasts. As they go out in the desert to a dry lake bed, you know, they blow up things, they set off fireworks, uh, guys have machine guns and shooting at and rocket What about that locals? element
0: that Art Bell and Linda Moulton Howe talked about? They said we had to, was Element 115. Yeah, is that
1: real? Well, everybody said, Oh, that there's no such thing as one fifteen. Well, just within the last two or three years, they said, Oh, scientists have said, Oh, we've actually created one fifteen. Real, real small amounts. But we have element one fifteen.
0: That's so, it's probably a lot. They probably bought it from Lazar or something, or they made a copy his Well, uh, he had
1: he had some in his house and his house was broken into uh when he was out at S four. And I think I think he he just he started getting spooked. They called him out to uh Indian Springs, which is now Creech Air Force Base, is and what thirty miles outside of uh, Las Vegas on US ninety five, and they called him out there. And this was about six months after he was employed at S four, and they uh, he he wasn't sure if it's FBI or OSI or CIA or whatever. They put a gun to his head and threatened him. Are you serious? And I didn't uh, know
0: it was that deep. I mean, I knew they had him by the throat, but like he didn't want to he did that joe rogan show recently and he didn't want to do it he was getting like headaches i remember i watched it i'm a i'm a fan of the joe rogan show and he he went on with uh, george knapp you know like george yeah. went on with him and i thought it was a monumental thing for um podcasting and because um no one had, had done that big of an interview as far as like government ufo disclosure on that big of a stage you know so i give bob a lot of credit for that i mean like i I'd love to meet. I'd love to interview him sometime. I mean,
1: he does not do interviews. He uh, he was offered, I think it was ten grand for ten minutes on the air, and he turned it down. Wow!
0: So he yeah. does just does not want to do interviews. No, like- he
1: didn't. He didn't do anything for twenty five years, and George Knapp, who's he's really close to George, George convinced him to do his thing with Jeremy Corbell and the movie the the bob lazar movie was really a pr thing for jeremy and with a little bit of bob lazar thrown in and i uh, i'll just leave it at that i'm not a, i'm not a big fan i'm i i think the world of uh, george Knapp and i think the world of bob lazar
0: yeah i but love the, george Knapp. i love his style of interviewing i'm a big fan of george like yeah. i i'm a big coast to coast fan in general but like you know george Knapp and art bell are to my favorites you know what i mean yeah. they really have like the best interview style like if you like run a breakdown interview style on how they interview their guests and like you know how they get deep in the conversation kind of like how we are now that's kind of yeah. how they do it you know and, yeah. and you can just tell the, the, by the tone of their voice and they, they're just and george knapp's just into it you know what i mean he loves oh, yeah. it you can tell he really um is a ufo uh and he wants the truth too you know that's what i love about like george knapp like Don't believe that there's a secret space program, but he wants the facts. And I admire that about him, you know? And I love people like that, like him, Richard Dolan. You know, Richard Dolan, I think the world of
1: because he wants the truth too. I love people who want the truth because- I I think a lot of us, a lot of us in this community, now I I wasn't involved at all with anything related to UFOs or podcasts or anything- for about ten years, uh, when I worked, for, I I was employed by the Museum of Flight for ten years. And if if you're a if you're employed by a museum and you write a book or an article, the uh, the museum owns the rights, regardless of what the subject matter is, even if it doesn't pertain to what the museum is. So I didn't do any writing at all during the ten years I was with the Museum of Flight. For the uh, four years I was with the Pacific Aviation Museum in Pearl Harbor, but once I retired, I started doing stuff, and I have a very very dear friend. You you know his name, and you may have had him on your program. Is Michael Schrat? No, I haven't had him on it yet. But... Yeah, Michael's like my kid. I mean, he's uh, he just came out with a new book. It's an it's an incredible book. He covers uh, eighty some odd of the top one hundred. UFO sightings in the last hundred years
0: you know what I'm going to have to maybe you can give me his email I'll have him on the show Like, I'll definitely have him let him come on and cover his book I mean I would, I'd be a, I, I think that's an. That's something interesting yeah like oh yeah, I mean, yeah. And, it's Mike,
1: Mike, Michael Mike, no one gives a better presentation than Michael Schrat I mean he knows the subject matter he has a warehouse full of four, dry, four drawer filing cabinets I think he has like 40 or 50 and they're filled with nothing but ufo sightings and ufo stuff and interviews wow so he he has he has a treasure trove and he just he just started a youtube channel youtube channel called uh, blue book media going to you going to youtube and go blue you know uh, blue room media and you'll get his uh, they're about 10 to twenty-minute-long uh, uh, sessions where he where, where he covers in detail uh, at least four to five UFO, UFO sightings from the past, and he's uh, and and he's he really knows this stuff, and he has all the supporting documents. and his And his first book is book one. And I'm gonna go grab it so you can get a, see a picture of it. Hold on. Okay. I don't know how well you can see this. I'll get it. So it's, Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Dark. Files. Dark files. files. It, it it wants, it it wants to just uh, disappear in the background, but that's that's, the the green screen, you know,
0: but uh, I, 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 I'm going to definitely email him and talk to him about having him on the show. I'll get in touch with him. Like, and, and, you know, um, I, I think that's amazing because I, like I said, I'll, I'll repeat it again. Like I like people with evidence because that, that just, that, that supports what we're trying to do as far as like, you know, make a case for disclosure make a, a case for there are UFOs. There might be aliens out there. They might be ours. You know, that, that says it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now I was activated. Now I had five years active duty at a 10 year break. And I spent 21 years with the Minnesota Air Guard as a traditional weekender. I was the wing historian for 16 years, and I was also on state staff for the Minnesota Guard. But I was activated for Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and I was in the Pentagon. And I'm, I'm, at the time, I was an E-6. I was a tech sergeant. And I had, I had Bob Lazar's W-2 in my, I carried it in my back pocket the whole time I was in the Pentagon. And I had a, I had a, I had a day when I had, oh, well, about an hour or two hours. I had nothing to do. So I, I got into the, the Pentagon uh, directory, and I'm trying to find this Department of the Navy that paid Bob Lazar for working at S-4. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything that was, that was exact. So I found something that was close. And I, it wasn't, it wasn't Naval investigator Services, but it was along those lines. And I you really I'm hide a, that stuff, huh? Yeah. And I'm in uniform. I have my uh, class A's, not my, uh, my, my light blue shirt, my blue, yeah, dark blue pants, and. Uh, so I, I, go to, I go into this office. It's an open door. I walk in, and there's a young Lieutenant J.G. sitting behind the desk. And I said, uh, sir, I said, can you tell me where this Navy operation is located? And I hand him Bob's W-2, and he looks at it. He says, excuse me for a second, Sergeant. And he gets up. He goes into uh, the Two Stars office. He's in there for 15, 20 seconds. Comes out. And he said, the admiral will see you now. Now, those those of you who have been in the military, those have been, especially the Navy, the Navy is probably more stringent as far as separation of ranks. And, and the Marine Corps would be worse. But a two-star Navy admiral is not going to take time out of his day to talk to an enlisted Air Force puke. And that's the best way I can put it. I mean, they just yeah. Sort of They just look down on you. And it was even worse that I'm a reservist, even though I had active duty time. Yeah. So he's holding, I go in there, I give him a sharp salute. Uh, He says parade rest. He doesn't say at ease, which is normally what you say It's parade rest. So I'm standing there rigid. And he said, he's holding, he's holding Bob's W2. And he says, Sergeant, I don't know where you got this. But if I ever see your face cross the threshold of my office ever again, you'll be the most sorry son of a bitch of the NCO in the United States military. Do you understand <laughs> me, Sergeant? I said, I said, yes, sir. And with that, he takes Bob's W-2 and puts it in the shredder. He, wow. said, you're, he said, you're dismissed. And I, I salute him do an about face and walk out. If Bob was a fraud right there, that proves he's not yeah yeah if he if he was a fraud you know the 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 lieutenant j G would look at it and laugh and you know, said, well, No, I don't know where this place is at. give it back to me no it it he was paid at a from a classified location in d c now the zip code in d c is two oh two oh one through two oh two four four eight or four seven or something like that. There's a group in the high thirties and the low forties in the zip code area that go to classified locations. It may be a DC zip code, but it may be area 51 or it may be some other place. So, uh, and it had one of those zip codes that don't exist officially. Yeah. So, um, so if, if it wasn't, if, if it wasn't for the, if Bob was not who he said it was, he would not have had the experience Of, uh, I would not have an experience of of this admiral you know going ballistic because I had his W two. This is amazing stuff. This was awesome. man. This was amazing stuff.
0: (laughs) Um, I don't have any other questions. Can you tell everybody where to find your book, like in your book in your book and stuff like that? What's your book about?
1: Okay, I'm a published author. I have uh, 29 books. uh, Oh, you have 29. Wow. 20, 27 of them are in print. My newest book, my 29th ninth book, is at my publisher's right now. It is uh, uh, the Nuclear Navy. I cover all two hundred twenty seven plus nuclear powered submarines, in the United States Navy, and every every submarine has at least three photos of the two hundred twenty seven. And uh, there's a description and location and you know where where they're at, what they did, and the whole bit. So. Um, that's my 29th, my 28th book. I'm waiting to get on an SS, an, o, an Ohio class ballistic missile submarine that had been converted to an arsenal boat. They referred to them as SSGNs. Or, and I'm waiting to get on an arsenal boat so I, can do, so I can photograph the difference between that and a ballistic missile submarine. So they took the four earliest uh, Ohio boats and rather than scrap them they converted them to arsenal boats they, each one carries 154 tomahawk cruise missiles wow and, just, and they you know they're they're at 400 feet deep they're just cruising back and forth and if they get the call they you know they go up to 150 feet deep and then they can launch from there they can launch all 154 in a matter of a few minutes and then go back down to 400 feet or 500 feet or 800 feet you they know, just,
0: have to be seeing the UFOs down there because
1: you you, you ever hear the the, the the UFOs off the Santa Catalina coast? They, yeah, they, they, i have also they, heard about the ones in in Australia you know, between the uh, south end of Australia uh, near Melbourne and Tasmania. Now there was a pilot, private pilot, years of experience. I mean, thousands of hours you know flying his his aircraft, and he's and he's on he's on he's. 20 miles or 15 miles from the coast and he's on, he's on the radio. He's, he's telling the air traffic control people that there's, I, I'm being, I'm being followed by, by a strange looking craft. I'm not sure what it is. And it's, Oh my God, it's coming closer towards me. And, and this thing disappears. The airplane wow. disappears. There was no trace. There was no debris and he's never, no, he's never never showed up again I mean he just disappeared uh, that's a, wow I've never heard that story that's an amazing story yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot of activity down in uh, Australia I have a friend of mine uh, I think she's retired now but she was with the National Security Agency and I sent her, when Tucker Carlson and uh, a federal employee whoever they never, I don't think ever gave his name when they came out and, and said that there are a craft flying in our airspace that had not made on this earth. And uh, so I, I sent her an email said, Hey, you believe in UFOs? And I got an instant reply. Why did you see one? And I came, you know, emailed her back said, no, but I'm looking. He said, she said, I can't say anything on this medium, which is electronic you know, transmission of information it says, but they're here. I said, do you want to expand, you know, expand upon that? And she didn't respond. So, wow. uh, so they're,
0: they're, they're, this is too amazing. It's so and, amazing. It's, it's these mysteries of the world are so interesting. I love talking about them. Like,
1: and they'll never get old for me. They'll never get no, old. Like, no, and, it, and, and, I, and I do this because it keeps my mind fluid. Now, I haven't, I haven't said anything about that thing, this thing that's behind me. Oh, it's over here. What is that? That is my, That was my airplane for 15 years. that I worked on that. That is an A-12. That's a CIA version of the Blackbird. The SR-71 is a two-place. The CIA airplane is a one-place. And it came before the SR-71. I didn't even know we had these. I mean, we have some badass technology. Oh, that, that, that thing is that thing in, in the sky. It's it's my photograph on the ground, but we photoshopped it in the air. That airplane was retired in 1968. Wow. It, it, it looks like it. something from the you know. Like oh, absolutely. Like it. Uh, it could it could fly as, as high as uh, straight and level 92, five, at 92,500 feet 50 plus years ago at 2,000 150 miles an hour, any day of the week. And uh, I scrounged that. Uh, Ben Rich called me me at home in August of 89. He said, Jim, I got it from the horse's mouth that the Blackbirds aren't gonna make it through Congress. And if anybody could scrounge one, you can. So I said, so I'm giving you a heads up. No one knows about it yet. So I'm giving, you, I'm giving you a heads up. You can be in the front of the line. So I, and in the air guard, you can violate the chain of command without getting in trouble. Because it's only, only three levels. Yeah, You have the squadron, you have the wing, and then you have state staff. I called, now I'm, I'm a tech sergeant, I'm an E-6. I call the adjutant general for the state of New York, General Weaver. His secretary answers the phone and said, "General Weaver's office." I said, "Yes, ma'am. This is uh, Sergeant Goodall with the 133rd. It's the 133rd Airlift Wing or Air Wing in Minneapolis, Saint Paul." I said, "Is General Weaver available?" He said, "Just a minute, Sergeant. I'll put him th- put you through." So General Weaver gets on the phone. And he said, "Sergeant, how can I help you?" I said, "General, how would the New York Air Guard like to?" Move the world's fastest airplane in a couple of years. C-5s. Dead silence for a few seconds. He said, You mean the Blackbird? I said, Yes, sir. He said, When you're ready, you call, we'll haul. So I scrounged two 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 c C-5s to move my Blackbird. I went to my boss, who was Major General uh, Al Schwab. I said, General Schwab, I want to get a Blackbird for a museum. He starts laughing at me. I said, General, rather than laugh at me, how about you give me the opportunity to fail? I said, all right, Smarty, how are you going to get it here? They don't fly. I said, I already got that covered. He said, what do you mean? I said, General Weaver from the state of New York said we could use two of his C-5s to move the airplane here. What is a C-5? That's the the Air Force's largest transport. Okay. The the floor on the C-5 is... Nineteen feet wide, 121 feet long, and at the lowest point, 13 feet high. Holy heck! Holy heck! Wow! So we we cut the wings off the blackbird, and we had an inch and a half of clearance when we rolled it inside the C5. Now, what's exciting about that? Besides, that's how the only way we could have gotten it, except over the road. I raised all the money. I figured out how to move it, and I was in charge of the whole you know, the whole recovery. Uh, so we, we loaded up on, uh, the 27th of October, 1991. We leave Palmdale. We fly to Travis north of San Francisco for gas, spent the night there. Next day we head to Minnesota. We're at about 45 minutes. Then the crew chief, the load master, he's a, he's a, a E9, uh, chief master sergeant. He's going down to check the load. He said, Hey, can I go down with you? He said, well, normally I'd have to say no, but since this whole thing is your project, sure, come on down. So I get in, uh, go downstairs, I uh, climb up in the landing gear, where the wings are cut off right at the landing gear. I get up in the chines, I walk along up to the cockpit. I have a wheel chuck and underneath holding the canopy open because the counterbalance was out of nitrogen. I open the thing up, I latch it. I have a five gallon bucket. On the ejection seat because it's all the way down with a cushion and i go in there and i i lower the canopy i'm in there for about 45 minutes going zoom zoom all mm-hmm. of a sudden i get a i get a wrap on the bottom and i head up uh, uh i had to go back up uh, up above and the uh and that was just kicking the butt and the, you know, now we're start gradually starting our descent in minneapolis and the the chief came back to me and said hey jim uh if you want, said you know, the boss. Said you could be in the cockpit when we land. Well, I'm already in the forward end, you know, forward end of the C5. Behind the wing box is room for 75 first class passengers. Wow! But I'm, uh, but I'm for I'm, I'm with the where the crew is. So I go down and I get inside the cockpit of of this Blackbird, and I I'm in there when I land it. So I I called Ben Rich up the next day and I said Ben. I think I've done something that no one else in the world has ever done. I said, what's that? They said, I've been in the cockpit of a Blackbird at 33,000 feet at Mach 0.72 inside another airplane. And he starts laughing. He said, my God, I I should almost issue you a Mach 3 minus card versus a Mach 3 plus card. And I said, I also landed it. So I'm the only person in the universe Who's been That's in the cockpit of a blackbird at thirty-three thousand feet at point Mach point seven two inside another airplane, and I landed it. <laughs> and, and That's a walk-
0: story. That's a story for the ages. Like I'm yeah. so glad we were able to document that on this show because we'll have that on forever. Like you know, yeah, like okay. hopefully as long as YouTube keeps it on or wherever my podcast is, you know, I put it yeah, on okay. a, a bunch. But um, so did you? You worked on this plane, like. What
1: all did you do on it? Like, did you do like... I, no, I was, I was a, a communication specialist. Uh, I dealt with telemetry systems. And wow. I, was, I, was, I was given a set of orders in, in uh, uh, early 1964 to go to Edwards Air Force Base, temporary duty, TDY, to help support three programs for ground-based telemetry for Category 1 testing. And that was the YC-141 Starlifter, the XB-70 Valkyrie six engine Mach 3 bomber and a classified program, which turned out to be the Blackbird. And on uh, February 29th, 1964, two two YF-12 Blackbirds, interceptors, flew in from Area 51 into Edwards Air Force Base on a Saturday morning about seven o'clock and when they came in, they, you know, they they went, they pulled right in front of their hangars with the engines running. And with the engines running, hitting, with the heat going back into the hangar, it set off the deluge system. It pumped 60,000 gallons of water in about, I think, 15 or 18 seconds. It just floods the whole thing, to, you know, drowned out any type of fire. Wow. And so all the fire alarms went off, and the, the barracks were 18, you know, were eight miles from from the flight line. And I had a flight line badge, but I couldn't get there. Someone had already taken the truck. So it wasn't until 10 days later, I'm taking a shuttle flight from Edwards to Hawthorne, uh, where Northrop has their headquarters here in suburb of LA. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting for them to do whatever they are doing. With it. It's a Piaggio. It's a, it's a, I think a 10 or 12 passenger executive type uh, aircraft. It's a pusher, go wing, uh, It's Italian, and uh, they hadn't loaded yet. And I I hear this roar, and I see debris being blown across Rogers Dry Lake, and i go running down the flight line, and I look towards uh, the XB-70 test pad, and there is, I thought it was the X-15, and it wasn't. And all of a sudden, they say, hey, we're loading. So I ran back, we got on, and we took off right over Rogers Dry Lake, and we banked over this airplane. And I had a chance to look down on it. The world hadn't seen it. Military has, and of course Lockheed had, but the general public hadn't seen it. And I sure in hell hadn't seen it before. And it, it's affected me the rest of my life. It was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. And uh, the next, that was a Tuesday. I was off for the whole week. It was, I think it was Easter week. And uh, there was some type of celebration in L.A. And my grandmother lived in Laguna Beach. And I came back on the following Monday morning to to work. I walked in there and I was given my set of orders (coughs) to install some equipment in the Lockheed Hangar. So I walked in the Lockheed Hangar and and I'm looking at the back of two blackbirds. I'm 18 years old and I joined the Air Force because I love airplanes and they're, boom, the most incredible airplane ever to fly.
0: I, I can share that that, that 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 sentiment. I always wanted to be a pilot when I grew up. Like, I grew up watching those yeah. like uh eighties movies like Top Gun and I don't know if you remember the movie Iron Eagle where yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, like yeah. I I loved those movies growing up as a kid, you know, like I love those pilot movies. Like, you know, those first they're like first person shoot like you know, like um you know we I, I you know but my, my idea of a military plane I never knew about any of this stuff you know I knew about like the f-15s f-16s and the f-18s you know what I mean but this stuff is yeah. so high tech like it's so interesting to hear about like I never knew about any of this like I knew about the stealth bomber you know but I didn't know about any of these like and I never knew any of this existed it's so interesting
1: what one of uh, i had a ch- i had a chance in two thousand and sixteen they let me fly the b two simulator at whiteman for two and a half hours and i have a certificate stating so and Ooh, I was have du- you ever have
0: you ever done one of those fighter pilot simulators since you're in the air force
1: no i've i've flown the f thirty five simulator i've flown the f sixteen simulator i mean'm i talking about the military grade ones not yeah it's not, that's, the, not I mean, microsoft yeah that, I've, that, that... i I you, you, the,
0: you get in the you get in the they have a a simulated cockpit right like, yeah right in correct the, and, and you, so it's just like you're flying an F-16
1: right and, pretty much except you don't have the thrill you don't have the thrill of of the you know even if it's a multi-axis uh, uh, a simulator uh, you you don't you don't get the 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 instant gratification of going like a bat out of hell.
0: But you're, you're yeah. going, you're shooting at targets and stuff, right? Like they, they right, send targets right. like, and you're trying yeah. to evade targets yeah. and stuff, right?
1: That's Some, interesting. One of the more fun things I had a chance to fly. Uh, I was at Boeing at long. They were long acre long acres, uh, flight simulator facility. They had simulators for all for their whole product line. And, uh, I had sold some real estate to a vice president of the uh, of Boeing and he said you like airplanes I said yeah I work for the museum of flight so yeah I love airplanes he said uh, you want to come out to Long Acres some night you bring you know, bring your you know, a friend and you can fly the 777 simulator wow and I and I I took it I took it off from Boeing field I flew to uh, Moses Lake I did three touch and goes Came back, landed. And I'm not a pilot. I mean, it was just, it was an, it was unbelievable. And on, on the B2, again, I'm I'm not a pilot. And when I when they when I went in, uh, I was there, I'd been in Whiteman three days, and they were, it was near the end of the day, and we're off the flight line. We're going the B2 to B2 is the stealth bomber, right? Correct. Correct. And you flew that? I flew the simulator.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: I was going to say, that's just close. It's, it's not, it's a, it's almost the same as flying the real thing. So, uh, as I go, as, as we drive up there, we, you know, there's a cipher lock to get in the building and then you to take your cell phones and you, know, you can't transmit anything or take pictures or anything. And then there's a, I think it was a hand scanner and then a keypad you go in and there's a hallway and there's three doors. It's like the price is right open the ah. first door. It's like the first door, and there's there's they have three simulators there. So we, I thought they were just going to show it to me. So we go, we go inside the sim. I've been in the cockpit. I photographed the cockpit of the B two, you know, in in the hangar. And uh, I, I just go in there. I'm looking, and the the instructor pilot says, uh, "Get in the left seat." So I get in the left seat, and that's where the command pilot sits. He said. We're going to fly the B two today, and I didn't even ask for that. And it was just absolutely incredible. And we took off. He, you know, he said everything up. He said 127 knots. Pull the stick back, Uh, and it, it'll just it'll just go into the air. The airplane is a, is hard to make it. It's hard to make a hard landing. And it's I mean it's real easy to land. Really easy to take off, but it slips a lot because you don't have vertical stabs. So I'm going up you know, I've been flying it now for about 20 minutes. He said, okay, we're going to go air refuel. We're going to go up behind a KC-135R and we're going to hook up with the boom operator. I said, okay. And it took me two tries. Third try I hooked up and the guy said, well, how long you been flying? I said, I'm not a pilot. He said, I flew heavies for six years and it took me a half a dozen times to link up with the, with the tanker because, when you move the stick one way, you have to move it back the other way because it'll keep on going. I mean, you you're just going back and you're just sliding back and forth, and it's just uh that's, uh
0: that's amazing. So I did it,
1: I did it for two and a half hours. And one of the fun things is coming in for my first touch and go, uh George up in the uh, uh control room decided he was gonna drop five or six ten megaton hydrogen bombs around Whiteman. Boom, 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 boom. And, of course the, the sim goes all over the place the screen goes black because you you have a it looks like a stormtrooper uh, get, visor you wear if you're on a nuclear mission so that's again this is 2016 and uh we, we recovered and we're coming back and see the mushroom clouds and destruction everywhere and they said hey can i drop one of those he said no it's a classified system i can't yeah. you wanted to drop he one. said but if you would drop a nuke, where would it be? And I said, 1600. He said, stop right there. You can't say it anymore. I was referring to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, DC. Said, you can't say that here. Can't say that here. So that's uh, funny. Well,
0: this has been amazing, Jim. We've been going about two hours, but um, thank you so much. This was really an honor. Like I, I, I really cherish this. This was a, this was a great interview. This was a great moment. And, uh, I really appreciate it. This was awesome. I, I was. I, you want to tell everybody again where to find all oh, your stuff? Okay, you're, I you're, have man.
1: my my newest book that's out. It's uh, 384 pages. It's hardbound. It's nine by no, nine by twelve, and it's a horizontal format, a landscape format, and it's 75 years of the Lockheed Skunk Works. And it's hardbound. My my B2 book from Sheffer is hardbound. My Blackbird book. Go into Amazon and go in books by James Middle Initial C Goodall. G-O-O-D-A-L-L. And you'll see you'll see my books. You may have to you may have to go in and say, okay, I want a B2 book or Blackbird book or Los Angeles Fast Attack book or Seawolf Virginia class fast attack book, uh, but they're there. And they're, if you, if you're an Amazon prime uh, person, I'm not promoting Amazon by any stretch of the imagination, but my book weighs five and a half pounds. So Holy you're not going to want to you know, pay, you know, pay for postage. It's really, really expensive. So if, wow. you, if you're with Amazon prime, they ship for free. And they also uh, you, you get a you, know, you get a break uh, retail wise. Yeah, the, the book retails for uh, seventy dollars, and I don't I, I don't re- recall the last time I looked at uh, Amazon on that particular book. I think it's forty or fifty dollars, so you save twenty or thirty dollars on the book by going to Amazon at least initially. I don't remember, but the Do you have a has- website too. Nope, nope. I all I have is Facebook. James, you know Jim Goodall. uh, That's where
0: I found you. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the uh, Skunk Works book. It's it's been out just at six months, and it's in its third printing. So it's been selling like hotcakes. It's been selling like. Like weed on the local street corner on a Friday night. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's
1: a good one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had a wonderful time. And uh, Rob, I'll I'll be more than happy to come on again if you.